This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul, some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms or you can watch it. Just subscribe to the Mark Dolan Way on YouTube and join the Facebook group. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. I hope you are very well. Fail big. That is the key to success. People that have achieved great things in life always started with failure. Failure is the greatest teacher. Look at sport. Look at the best penalty takers. They are the ones who have the least fear of failure. And here's the thing. If you fail, it's proof that you're on the right track. Because if you fail, you are trying, you are experimenting, you are innovating, you are disrupting. So fail big. The avoidance of failure is what 95% of the population do. And that is why they have mediocre lives. If you want to think big, if you want big results, you've got to fail big. So there you go. Now, folks, um, I've got some lovely, simple things for you before we get started. I want to save you a lot of time. I want to save you detergent. I want to save you environmental impact. Let's imagine you drink a coffee every day. And every time you drink from that cup, it goes in the dishwasher, which then has to heat up the water and use detergent. Or you've got to wash it up in the sink, which is an effort and again has an environmental impact. So I've got a top tip for you. If you've got a mug that you use regularly, don't wash it. Do not wash it. All you've got to do is rinse it out, okay, without soap. I swear to God, just use a bit of water and your fingers. Now, I know this is not going to work if there is a heavy cup rotation in your home. So let's imagine that your partner, your family members, your housemates may be using that cup next time. Of course, you have to wash it properly. But if you could make an agreement with the people you live with that your mug is your mug and let's say you've got the big blue mug. Uh, Let me tell you that I'm a father of two and I was in a shop a couple of years ago and I I bought a mug that said world's greatest dad. Okay, I actually bought that mug. I purchased I'm the father of these children. I bought the mug that says world's greatest dad, which took some explaining to the cashier. But it's a fabulous thing because now that is my mug. And what I do is I drink coffee in the morning and then I rinse it out and I just turn it upside down to dry on the sink. And then I use it the next day. And yes, because of this solution, I reckon maybe every 10th use it can go in the dishwasher because it's ready for a bit of a clean, you know, a little bit, uh, it's too much like a, you know, a wok. You know, this idea with a wok, you never clean a wok, you're seasoning it. And it's the same with a, with a tea, teapot. The idea of a teapot is that uh, you never wash it because it just gets all this lovely tannin and staining and caramel from the tea leaves. So the older the pot, the more flavor it has. And I get that. You don't really want to do that with your coffee or teacup because, you know, you're not designing, you're not supposed to be um, sort of seasoning it. But it will just make your life so easy just to rinse it out and go again the next day. And here's the thing. You might think, well, that's not hygienic. You're not going to die. Whoever died from a slightly dirty cup? No. 
Um, not having a fear of germs will liberate you. And that's a great thing. Um, it also works for things like the chopping board. So if you've been chopping vegetables or anything that's not raw meats on a chopping board, all it needs is a rinse. It doesn't need soap. You just rinse it and let it dry, especially if it's a wooden chopping board, because wooden chopping boards, wood is natural and it contains natural antibacteria within the wood. So wood is actually very hygienic. The dodgy ones are the plastic ones, because what happens is that people chop stuff with knives on a plastic chopping board and you get these little grooves and the bacteria go in there and it's disgusting. And I would recommend you always wash that with detergent every time. But my top tip would be do not have a plastic chopping board. Don't use them. They're not hygienic, but wooden ones are. So if you've been slicing spring onions or chopping up raw potatoes or something, quick rinse under the tap. You do not need the bubbles. You don't need the fairy liquid. You don't need the sponge. It will just save you time and it will save you resources. It's a great thing. Don't wash stuff. You don't have to. There's so many things you don't have to wash. Think back to earlier episodes of this show. Remember my really quick 30 second shower. You go in the shower and the only soap you need is under the arms and the bum bum and the private parts. You don't need it anywhere else. You don't need soap on your legs or on your chest or on your back. You don't need it. Just the key bits. Absolute game changer. It's the same with vegetables, right? If you're having broccoli, you don't have to wash broccoli. You're boiling it. That will clean it. The boiling water will clean it. So just go through your life and think about all the things that you wash and ask yourself, do I really need to? Oh, this is so amazing for cooking. I absolutely love this. So I love cream. Okay. And I'm a low carber. Um, do have a listen to previous episodes about low carb. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not an expert. If you change your lifestyle, speak to your GP. But um, in June 2018, I gave up sugar and I really brought my carbohydrates down. So that would be pasta, rice, bread, potatoes, that kind of stuff. And sugar, of course, beer as well. All the nice stuff, basically. Um, and the idea of low carb is that it allows you to have natural fats. So that would be like butter, olive oil, double cream, whole milk, full fat Greek yogurt. What? As well as eggs, meats and fish. It's very good. And then unlimited green fibrous vegetables and berries because berries are a low sugar fruit. Right. That's basically my diet when I'm when I'm being good, which is most of the time. And well, so I'm just living in a world of double cream. Can I tell you, there is no better start to your day than coffee with double cream in it. Oh, my God. Coffee with a splash of double cream. Have you ever had coffee just with cream in it? It's amazing. What I tend to do, I can't lie because I'm not a monster, is I have a splash of milk and then I have a splash of double cream and it just adds texture to the coffee. It's a good start to the day. It's nice and fit, nice and filling. So I do a lot with cream. I always have. And, and if you're in America, um, it's it's heavy cream, which is in Britain, the double cream. Actually, on the continent, it's quite hard to get this really thick cream in Austria and Germany. It's hard, hard. This uh, uh, this uh, I think it's called it Schlag Obers, maybe. But anyway, cream in certain parts of the world can be quite hard to get the really thick stuff. But double cream, heavy cream, 
always have it in the house. It's an, it's excellent for, for coffee. Um, but here's what I do. I've got an amazing source, which can be deployed for any number of meals and dishes and recipes. But it works especially well with fish. Okay, because I think would you agree with me that fish is is, is quite nice and very healthy, especially things like salmon, because it's full of omega three oils, which are really great for your heart health and your brain. Very anti-inflammatory. Salmon is good, right? By the way, quick note on salmon. Try to get wild salmon if you can. It's not farmed, much more natural. As long as it's sustainably caught, wild salmon is a great thing. And um, But you want to brighten up your meal. So you've got your serving, you've got friends coming around and you're serving salmon fillets. Okay, and maybe you're doing that with broccoli stir fried in garlic and, and olive oil and chili. That's quite nice, isn't it? That'd be absolutely delicious. And perhaps perhaps you've been inspired by my low carb message. So you're serving it with with low carbohydrate rice. By the way, do you know how you make low carb rice? What you do is you buy cauliflower, you get a grater and you grate the cauliflower and then you simply fry that cauliflower in a little bit of olive oil. And that is your that is your low carb rice. It looks like rice. It tastes like rice. It's just grated cauliflower. So you've got your lovely, you've got your gorgeous um, broccoli. You've got your cauliflower rice and you've got your salmon, right? But would you agree with me that a salmon fillet can be a little bland? So what you're going to do is you're going to do my life changing sauce on the side, okay, which is the parsley sauce all right here's what you do you you get some parsley which is available in most supermarkets you chop it up and you gently fry it in butter but like low heat right just simmer it in butter so that it's kind of softened that's your parsley has been gently fried okay at that point you add the double cream and you have as much double cream as you want sauce. So imagine if it's going to be for four people, you use a whole, probably a whole tub of the double cream, right? It goes in, stir that in and you'll see that the, that the parsley breaks up nicely into the cream sauce. All right. So we're, we're already halfway there, but the problem is it's not thick enough. You've got your parsley, you've got your double cream, time for some salt and some pepper. Absolutely. A squeeze of lemon if you like a bit of lemon in your sauce, but the lemon is optional. But if you do put lemon in, please not too much because it will dominate and it will make the sauce sour. So I would just gently squeeze half a lemon and don't even empty the half a lemon of its juice, but just a little squirt. Lovely. So you stir that all together and it looks good, but it's too runny. It's too light. So how do you thicken my famous creamy sauce. Now this is, I mean, I don't know if anyone else has ever done this, but I believe it to be an invention. Okay. It's probably wishful thinking, but this is how I thicken my double cream sauce. You get Parmesan cheese and you grate it into the sauce and that thickens it and it works every time. And what you do is you grate the Parmesan in and then you gently, please don't boil this sauce because double cream is a very delicate food and you're just gonna you're just gonna if you boil it up it's gonna start to sort of fragment and get sort of lumpy and weird 
So you just, you know, be gentle with it. But what you want to do is you want to bring it to a slight simmer. So you do crank up the heat a little bit and you shave the Parmesan in, you mix it together. And you'll notice that once the Parmesan has melted, your cream becomes thicker. At this point, I need you to judge it. So if it's still not thick enough, just add more Parmesan. If it becomes too thick, then just get some more cream and dilute it again. But Parmesan cheese grated is the most amazing thickener of a cream sauce. And here's the other thing. It doesn't just thicken it. It adds a salty bite because Parmesan cheese is very salty and it adds flavor. It's another element. It's like the bass player in a band. It's a spectacular recipe. I've won plaudits for it and it brings things like salmon and haddock and cod to life. It just makes the meal. Um, I've got exactly the same recipe for prawns, but I use dill rather than parsley. But otherwise, it's exactly the same. And that's marvellous, too. Absolute game changer, folks. Game changed. Now, clothing bag. What does that mean? Clothing bag. Oh, yes. If you are in the supermarket. And you are buying stuff. And you forgot a bag. Oh, how are you going to carry all of that stuff to the car? or to the bus, or onto the train. How are you going to get that stuff from the supermarket home? Well, here's what you do, and it's a trick I learned when I was out running many years ago. I was out running, and I remembered I needed some groceries. I needed milk, I needed bread, I needed butter, you know, whatever. That was when I was eating bread, of course. Naughty me. And um, I didn't have a bag, and I also wanted to run home. So, stroke of genius. What you do is you use the inside of your jacket as a bag. Okay, so ideally, if it's like a some kind of puffer jacket or some sort of zipped jacket or, or anything that buttons up, you just shove all of the items down the inside. Okay, and make sure, just do a little test. Let me jump up and down a couple of times to make sure that the, the food doesn't won't sort of fall through and then land on the floor. But normally, if the jacket's tight enough around your waist, the food, the various items can basically shoved into your jacket and then you sort of zip it shut, button it closed. And you're just carrying all of your food on your body. And it's brilliant. And it's a very interesting look. I mean, it's quite an icebreaker conversationally on the bus when you're sort of sat there with sort of eggs and cheddar cheese bulging from your chest. I think it's sexy. I can't lie. I think it's a good look. I think people will be impressed and attracted to you. I really do. I think I think what it screams is this guy has got something about him. Uh, he's a disruptor. Uh, he's where it's at. He's the place to be. Uh, this guy is the definition of the future. That's what we're looking at here. Mr. Uh, Mr. Grocery Bulge knows what's going on. He's a leader. It's leadership, isn't it, really? That's that's what you're demonstrating. With carrots and um Cans of Diet Coke bursting from your midriff. I have actually done this. And I promise you, although it's odd, it works. May I suggest this as an emergency option? Not the default. But I think just do it when you're under pressure and you don't have a bag. And um, let me know how it goes. Right. Now, listen, how are we doing? Well, we've got to. We're 15 minutes in. Would you like me to change your life? Okay. I'd like to tell you about a best-selling book called Atomic Habits. And if 
like me, you are catastrophically lazy, like sort of world-class Olympic lazy, well, then perhaps you would like someone to read the book so you don't have to and then just tell it to you. Is that you? Well, you've come to the right place because I have read the book and it's brilliant. And I'm going to tell you about the book now. So it's called Atomic Habits. It's by James Clear. It's an international bestseller. And the reason why is because it's very effective. It's very well written. It's a great it's a great set of tools with which to have a happier, more successful and fulfilled life. Let me tell you that although I'll give you the basics of this book, I'm not in a position to replicate what reading the book will give you. So if you like what you hear from this podcast, I would urge you to go and buy the book. You can listen to it as an audiobook, or you can purchase it and read it with your actual eyes. So think of this as a little preview. Um, and that's the case for any book that I or TV show, any movie that I feature on the show is, you know, you, you want to go back to the source material if you because think about this book, right? Think of it. It's like a course of antibiotics. OK, and you're getting a longer, more potent course if you read the book. But let me get you started. So Atomic Habits, um, written by a guy called James Clear, who suffered a terrible injury when he played sport at school. I think it was baseball. And I think, forgive me, because it's a while now since I read the book. But I think I've re- what I've done is I've, re- I've revised all the important bits, but the, the introduction, he tells his life story, which I haven't, you know, has slightly sucked out of my brain. But um, he was in school. He was very good at something like one of those American sports that the rest of the world doesn't play. And he was playing this unpopular sport that the rest of the world said thanks, but no thanks to basketball, baseball, God knows what, you know, weird outfits. And I don't know if he had paint on his face. I don't know why they do that. Stripes. I don't know if he involved saying hut, hut, hut or anything like that. Anyway, it, I think it was baseball. And I think he got cl- clubbed in the face by a baseball bat. I think it just got whacked in the face. And I think he just got the most catastrophic damage and it was horrific. And he was ill for years, really. It was just shocking. He was so badly injured. And cut a long story short, because he was so ill, he was basically told, you know, you'll never play this sport again and you'll be lucky to have anything resembling a normal life. So it was just game over. It was just, you know, you're screwed, really. And therefore, because he was so ill and his recovery was so slow and so long, the only way that he could make progress was with tiny, tiny increments it wasn't physically possible for him to like just have an amazing day where he runs the, the, the hundred meters. He could only hope to like, you know, whatever, move his left eyeball by one centimeter <clears throat> every two weeks in a manner of speaking. So he learned the power of small changes. And in the end, what happened is that he did prevail over his terrible injuries and then became an incredibly successful sports sportsman and went back and became captain of his team and all that stuff. And it was an impossible story, but it was only achieved through these tiny little improvements that you wouldn't even notice. And that's what the book is about for you and for me. Small changes that you don't even notice. Okay, and you repeat these changes day after day. Uh, These changes, says the book, um, compound 
into major results. Think of it as like a pension. Pensions feel hopeless, don't they? It's just a hundred pounds here, a hundred pounds there, but you pay into it for years and years and years and bang, you've got a retirement and a pot of thousands. And that's basically what the these changes are about. I have talked about um, incremental marginal gains on previous on a previous show. I talked about Team Sky and Dave Brailsford. So this is a development on that theme. Um, but it's really, really brilliant and it really, really works. And the metaphor they use at the beginning of the book is that if you had a plane that was flying from London to New York, if you just changed the direction of the plane by three degrees, which is absolutely tiny, and you you've set off, you're basically still heading towards New York, but just three degrees off. Well, by the time you cross the Atlantic, you're going to be way north of New York and you're going to be in Massachusetts or wherever it is. My American geography is not the best, but you won't get to New York. You'll be in another state further away, several miles, several hundred thousand miles away. Um, And that is the point is that that tiny graduation, that tiny little change over time, is gargantuan. It's massive. So if you just think, right, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to get to work one minute earlier than usual every day. So normally I get in at nine, I'm getting in at 8.59. That's a tiny, tiny thing, but that could have great dividends over many years. Um, Similarly, I don't know if you say you're going to save, I'll save 10p a day. What is 10p a day? 10p is nothing, but 10p over seven days is 70p. Oh, God, then we start testing my mathematics. But, you know, it's (laughs) over 30 years. It's quite a lot of money. So do not judge these tiny little improvements, these little habits. All you've got to be doing is moving in the right direction. So how do you move in the right direction? How do you how do you get that plane pointing at the correct angle for where you want to go? Well, what you do is develop habits. Okay, so that's what the book is about, is teaching you to develop habits. You're like, how can I develop habits? It's so hard to develop habits. That's what you're thinking. It's not. It's the easiest thing in the world. You have developed habits your whole life without even thinking about it. What happens when you go into a dark room? You reach. You can't see a thing. You reach for the light switch and on it goes. You don't even think about it. It's subconscious. Tying your shoelaces. When did you like ever have to, or recently, when did you have to look down when you did your shoelaces? You could just do it whilst watching a movie, couldn't you? Um, what about driving? You know, what about the gear shift on a car? That was a nightmare when you started. It's nothing now. You don't even think about it. Typing. Again, you remember when you first ever saw a computer keyboard and you like kept making mistakes and if you write enough, you get this habit. It's just over time. There's no effort to it. But what you've got to do and what the book says is that... Um, the behavior that you do, right, the good habit must give satisfying results because if, so let's say you want to adopt a new habit, it has to give satisfying results, okay? There has to be a good feeling when you do the habit, right? Because the habit cannot just be sort of just painful and miserable with no back-end advantage, right? Like, you know, your new habit is you're going to walk on hot coals or you're going to punch your your fist through glass every morning, right? There's not an an awful lot of back-end advantage to that. 
and you won't stick with it. I mean, that's why those miserable diets that involve calorie counting don't work because there's no reward. It's slow, it's joyless, it's hideous. I don't think they work. So what they do in the book, what James Clear does, is he breaks it down into four things and feel free to take notes. To build a habit, you need a cue, then you need craving, then you need a response, then you need the reward. So the cue, let's talk about the room. You're in a dark room. The room is dark. It is dark. That is your cue. Okay. It's dark. I can't see. The craving I would like to see inside this room, right? The craving is to change the room from dark to light. That is what you crave. The response is the action of switching on the light. The reward is the mild relief and comfort of now the room is lit. That whole transaction is positive. Uh, You're looking forward, you're anticipating turning on the light and you're rewarded with that. It's the same with coffee. Coffee is a habit for people. Um, The cue for coffee is that you wake up. Okay, you normally have coffee in the morning when you wake up. So you wake up, it's coffee time. The craving is that you seek energy. You seek that little boost that the coffee gives you. The response, the action is to drink the coffee and the reward is you feel alert. Okay, so those two things are great habits that have made you feel good. Um, You could get it with sports um, that you could have a cue for running, which is that you see your running shoes. Um, You are craving fresh air and that feeling of how you feel after a run. Then you have your response, which is you run. And what is the reward? Well, would you agree if you've ever been running or done most sports? How do you feel after sport? The reward. You feel good. You feel virtuous. You feel better. You feel healthy. And maybe the reward is that lovely shower afterwards and that amazing meal. Because I know about you, but I find food so good after exercise. Really just it makes the food taste better. I think because it stimulates the metabolism. And it gets your digestion going. And I think it's a marvellous thing. So what you need to do is you need to remember those four elements, the cue, the craving, the response, the reward. And you can fit that in with almost any potential habit. That's how you build a habit. There's a way to hack this to create a habit forming mechanism. You need, don't you? to invent the cue? How do you force the cue to happen so that that good habit stays? So let's imagine, again, an example from the book. You want to play the guitar. You want to learn to play the guitar. So the trick is that you start with the cue, which is that you put the guitar in the middle of the living room. So that means that when you come down in the morning, before work, whatever, you've had your coffee, The guitar is in the middle of the room. So you've just seen it. You can't forget about it. You've made a big priority of it. It's a cue. You see the guitar. That's your cue. And then you need implementation intention, a clear plan of action. Okay, because we are too vague. Having a broad idea, I'm going to learn the piano. That's not a habit. The way that you build in a habit, you've got the cue, which is the guitar is always going to be in the middle of the room. And then you create a timetable. So you say every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, I will play the guitar from 8 p.m. to 8.15. 
Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Okay, and it's just a ritual. Come what may, that is when I'm going to do it. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 p.m. for 15 minutes. That's nothing, right? 15 minutes, three times a week. Everyone, even the prime minister, the president of the United States could manage that. There isn't anyone on the planet that couldn't find 15 minutes, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Okay. And that is how you build that habit. Um, Brilliant example in the book of also making these decisions non-conscious. So when it's in the diary and it's a commitment, you're not deciding anymore. Do you remember what I said in a previous show about things like alcohol and other things, sugar, you name it, right? You do it or you don't do it. It's a simple decision, right? No gray area. The decision is made. That's why why people with addiction, it's so easy to go cold turkey and just not have it at all. Because it's like, I've made a decision. I do that with alcohol. If I'm driving, it's like, I will not drink. So then we say, well, you can have half. Or it's like, no, I don't want to think about it. Make a decision. Make a judgment. It's like, I'm not drinking. I'm, I am actually having soft drinks. It's lovely. I'm free. So a lot of these good habits can be formed by, by without making a conscious decision. You just alter your environment. So there was a cafeteria and this lady was worried about the health of the workers who used this cafeteria. And so what she did is she just moved the soft drinks to a less obvious place that weren't in the eye line you had to kind of walk over the other side to get them and then there were just bottles of sparkling mineral water in the fridge right next to the till very easy to buy and they're just there and water consumption went up and the soft drink consumption went down why because you altered your environment to fulfill this new habit The other thing that's very important is that you tap into dopamine, right? Dopamine is a drug that makes you feel good. And if you want to build and secure a habit, try to put dopamine into the habit, right? So remember what I said, walking on hot coals or smashing your hand into a glass window, right? That's not very rewarding. There's not going to be much dopamine knocking about in anticipation of that. But if the dopamine delivers, sorry, if the habit, new habit that you're um, embarked upon, when you do that habit, if it gives you a thrill, it gives you a dopamine hit, you're going to stick with it, right? So that the, the, the habit is pleasurable. So for example, maybe the habit is going to deliver a night out, or it's going to deliver a brand new purchase that you've been looking forward to. Or if it's going to deliver a holiday, then just by doing that habit, even if it's an act of discipline, the knowledge of what it's going to lead to will create dopamine. It will create a delicious, sexy hormone, which means that habit is more likely to stay. Um, So there's a clear link, as James Clear says in the book, between desiring something and getting something. Okay, so he says if we look forward to it, right, the habit look forward to the habit we're more likely to do it now don't get me wrong the practicing of the guitar that might be laborious and it's hard work and it's complicated and you know there's a lot of failure involved of course there is remember don't be afraid of failure but perhaps you've made a deal with yourself that you're going to play this song for the family at christmas and just the thought of playing it perfectly for the family you know, how that's going to go down. You're going to bring the house down. Everyone, your grandma's going to be in tears. You're going to play that song so well at Christmas or maybe for your own wedding or something, right? 
Well, then the practice is just such a buzz because all you're thinking about is, you know, that amazing performance I'm going to do. Or maybe, um, maybe you want a new guitar. Maybe you want an electric guitar. And you've promised yourself that if you practice three times a week, 15 minutes for a year, if you fulfill that schedule, you're going to buy an electric guitar. That means that every time you pick up this crappy guitar that you've got, and every time you practice, you're going to be buzzing because you'll be thinking, oh, I'm getting closer to that electric guitar, which I'm going to buy. Um, this ties in with something called temptation bundling. OK, so. The book says, make unattractive tasks enjoyable. So I can give you an example of that. I had, when we moved, I had to sand all the floorboards in our flat. And that is not, I don't know if you've ever sanded floorboards, but it's a horrific job. It's dirty. It's dusty. It's physically exhausting. It's complicated. It involves a lot of patience. You've got to keep changing the sand the sander, that the sandpaper, we put new ones on, stuff gets worn out. It's brutal. It's quite hazardous as well, by the way. I wouldn't recommend doing it if you're an amateur, which I was. It was horrific. And I think it was three days of sanding. Three days of hell. And have you noticed that builders, I don't know if this is a generalization, but have you noticed that builders always seem to go to the pub after work? Seems to be quite a thing for the builders, doesn't it? Um what a treat, by the way, just going to the pub every night after work. But the, definitely the builders I've known, a lot of them reward themselves with a couple of very cold, bubbly pints of beer at the end of a long, hard working day. And why not? Because I think being a builder is one of the toughest jobs you can do. But it's not how I live because, you know, you've probably got flavor now of this show. I try to live well, look after my body. I don't think it's good for your liver or your lifestyle generally if you're having having beers every night. But I made an agreement with Mrs. Dolan, which is that I'm I'm a builder for the next three days. It's going to take three days. So I'm just going to the pub every night after doing some sanding. So if it was like, I can't remember if it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but Monday, all day sanding. I was in the pub at six, half six, couple of pints, happy days with salt and vinegar crisps. I did the same thing on the uh, Tuesday, same thing on the Sunday, uh, Wednesday. Sorry, I'm all over the shop. So um, spectacular. I mean, I'm encouraging heavy drinking here. This is really bad messaging. But do you see how I've sugar coated, sugar coated it? And I've um, I've made an unattractive task enjoyable with a reward. OK, Frankie Boyle, the wonderful comedian, he had a rule and it was along the lines of if he did three new jokes on, I think it was every day. If he wrote three new jokes every day and said them out loud on stage, that on Saturday he would allow himself to watch Match of the Day, which is a, a soccer show in England. And it was basically a way of forcing himself that I've got to write these new jokes and I've also got to say them on stage because a lot of comedians, myself included, you write stuff and then you get to the gig and you're like, you think twice about doing that new material and you go back to playing the greatest hits. But he knew that you had to not just write the damn thing, but you had to be brave enough to say them out loud. And you say those jokes and people laugh or they don't laugh. But that bang, done that. I get to watch match of the day. And therefore, you know that when he's writing those jokes and when he's about to say them, he's buzzing because he knows that is the key to watching match of the day deploying dopamine right you're getting dopamine when you sand those floors thinking about that beer 
Frankie Boyle's getting dopamine thinking about match of the day whilst writing and saying those jokes out loud. Um, so it works beautifully. It's a great thing. Also, make it easy. Make these habits easy. Okay, people are not drawn to hard things, so make it easy. So you need to reduce friction to get your habit going. So, for example, the author talks about his wife who always sends greetings cards. She remembers birthdays, christenings. She's amazing. But the reason why she's found it easier to send greetings cards than her, her partner is because she reduced the friction. She had a file, and in that file was a variety of greetings cards that she's just got at home, okay? All types, um, bereavement, happy birthday, happy anniversary. So you've got one less barrier. You don't need to go to the shops and buy the card. You've got the card at home. So you've reduced the friction. You're that much more likely to send the card if it's at home. And then in other ways, you increase friction. So if you if you want to start a good habit, you reduce the friction. If you want to get rid of a bad habit, you increase the friction. You make it um, a hard thing to do that bad habit. So a good example is Joe Rogan, the podcaster, who deletes Twitter off his phone. And that means that if he wants to go on Twitter, he's got to go to the app store. He's got to download it. He's got to enter his security details his password and then he can go on twitter and then he's finished he has to delete it's a hassle people don't like doing hard things and that's how you wean yourself off of bad habits um, and last but not least the two minute rule which is that this habit if you don't fancy it just give it two minutes every time just two minutes making it pleasurable is good People were dying of ghastly bacteria and viruses and God knows what else in the early part of the 20th century until some genius doctor decided to put perfume in soap. And it meant that people started washing their hands and their hands smelt really good afterwards. And it became like a thing and it reduced massively death from bacteria and infections and things because people had clean hands, but the reason why they got in the habit is because it was a great reward. The hands smelt good afterwards. The habits need to be satisfying. In the book, he also talks about immediate gratification for delayed returns. So normally you think, oh, I've just got to do these horrible things. It will be good one day. But the book actually says, no, the habit should be great straight away. And so he talks about the idea of a savings account, okay, that you put a certain amount of money away every every week. And um, yeah, that's kind of dry, isn't it? Boring. It's a bit annoying. But what you do is you call it the trip to Europe savings account. And that means that every time you don't buy lunch at work, and instead, you bring food from home. The five pounds that you would have spent at lunch, you put that into the trip to Europe savings account. And by the end of the year, you've got a thousand pounds. And that's an amazing thing. So if you're saving, you know, give that savings account a name. 
give what you're identify what it is you're saving for and you'll find and this happens to young couples when they get married they're quite happy to live an impoverished existence because they're saving for a car or they're saving for parenthood or they're saving for the deposit on a flat or a house and they're very motivated because they just see what the reward is so that's what you have to do um also you need to stick to these habits very important so it the book talks about habit tracking um habit contract tell others that you're doing this say hey i'm going to play the guitar at christmas for everyone and i'm doing i'm practicing three times a week for 15 minutes tell everyone that's accountability consequences if you don't practice give five pounds to charity every time you don't practice right you'll soon practice because it's costing you money and you can buy a calendar or you can even get an online calendar and print it out and you can just tick every day that you adhered to your new habits it's very satisfying to strike that calendar every day so there you have it it's the atomic habits it's a brilliant book i hope it's helpful i found it extraordinarily helpful and look forward to um implementing many of those wonderful methods so that brings us to the end of the show it's been lovely to have your company and do subscribe to the youtube channel please spread the word tell your friends tell your family about the show and i look forward to seeing you next time thanks for listening <laughs>